Hey there, my five faithful listeners and anyone who randomly stumbled upon this episode. My name is Lydia, and this is the Lydia Todd Pod. It's probably not a good idea to start a podcast because your last name rhymes with pod, but I'm here anyways. From spontaneous trips to special guests to deep spiritual conversations and everything in between, expect inspiration, stories, and plenty of laughter. Grab a glass of milk, settle in, and let's dive into the episode. Season one. I'm excited about it. Um, I don't know. You know how I like this topic. It's it, it's one that I feel like is misunderstood by most Christians. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Lydia, your host, speaking, and today we are joined by Kaylee Wadlington, my flatmate, and Daniel Dalton, who is on the other side of the world right now. And Whoa. both of these people are really special people in my life. We have spent a lot of time together. Mr. Daniel was my camp counsel, one of the camp counselors and a Bible camp teacher when I was younger. And that's kind of how our friendship started, but it has grown a lot since then. We've had a lot of Bible studies and discussions at his house. He was one of the chaperones for a mission trip that I planned two years in a row. And I would trust my life to this man. He knows a lot about the Bible, and he's too humble to tell you all that about himself, so I'm saying it. Kaylee is the person who would move across the world with you to do mission work, so I would also trust my life to her, <laughs> and she hasn't been to any of the Devo sleepovers, so this would be like a first time for her, but it, for me, this is one of my favorite things that I would do at university. Every semester, we would go to Mr. Daniel's house and study some really deep topic of scripture, and I want to bring this to you guys who are listening so that you can also get into these deep studies. Uh, we're going to probably talk about things that you don't hear in Sunday morning sermons or that you don't find clear answers to when you search online, and so I hope this will bring you clarity and more depth in your Bible knowledge, and maybe you'll get some good laughs out of it too, or some new epiphanies about things in the Bible. I know I have. So, Mr. Daniel, what do you have to say about yourself? Do you, do you have any fun things you want the, the audience to know about you? Uh, so, I'm excited to be doing this. It's new for me. Um, I'm definitely way out of my comfort zone with all the uh, technology and stuff. I have listened to podcasts, but I've never considered making one. But Lydia, Lydia will do that. Um, <laughs> th this topic is that we're going to be discussing today is one that's really close to my heart. It's it's been it's it's been a struggle at times. It's a good topic. It's an important topic, and it's one that's a lot of times misunderstood. I look forward to discussing it with you today. Kaylee, anything to add? I'm also looking forward to this. It's my very first time on the Lydia Todd pod. I've yeah. been behind the scenes watching her record it every time or upstairs trying to make no noise so that I don't get in the way of her audio. But I'm excited to actually get to be on it and really excited because I have heard about how these lessons at Daniel's at the Devo Sleepover have impacted a lot of our friends at Freed Hardeman every time that they go, but I've never had the chance to go. So I'm excited to learn a little bit and just get to gain from the conversation that's had today. I always, I always grow when I study the Bible with Lydia, and now we have another wise Christian mind in the mix. So I'm just excited to learn from today. Yeah, 
You you definitely sacrificed the most for my podcast making. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind. I don't mind. It's worth it. Okay, we can go ahead and get started. I'm also thinking I'll split this into two parts. Grab a Bible and maybe a notebook and pen for the episode. Anytime we look at a deep topic, it's always comprised of little bitty topics that are very easy to understand and it just takes the topics that are easy to understand and puts them all in one place in a different way than we've considered it before um the deep topics are things that usually the bible doesn't exactly spell out but it gives us all of these little solid topics that we understand so so like the first place we're going to start today is god is good who doesn't understand the idea that god is good that that that's a simple topic an easy topic If, if we take the Bible and we believe the Bible and we believe it that it is 100% from God and that it is 100% true and that the Bible that we have today is accurate, you can't get around the fact that God is good. But yet that's one of the major steps that is necessary to understand the, the concept of what we're going to be fully looking at today. So like Psalm 34 and verse 8, David, David is one of the biggest ones when, when we look at God is good. Psalm 34 and verse 8 is the first one I want to look at. David has a lot to say about the goodness of God, and if anyone would understand the goodness of God, it would be David and with what he went through with God. Psalm 34, 8. 34, 8. I've got it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Okay. Uh, 107 and verse 1. We're going to go through these pretty quickly because it's a it's a pretty basic concept. 1071 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, 145 and verse 9. 145, 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Okay, 33 and verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Um, so again, righteousness and justice doesn't specifically say good, but those being what what entails what good is um 100 verse 4 and 5 100 4 and 5 enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name for the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations and again he says it in about three different ways in this verse that god is good um new testament mark 10 and verse 18 this has an interesting twist on this verse we're not going to go into the twist because it's not to do with our topic, but it does have an interesting twist. Mark 10 and verse 18. Mark 10, 18. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Okay, is God good? Yes, he is. And the the twist is obvious, but again, we're not gonna go into that one at this time, but the verse explicitly states and talks about the goodness of God there and Jesus mentioning the goodness of God. Uh, James 1 verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no vari- variation or shadow due to change. And so as, as we talk about the goodness of God, we talk about that every single good and perfect gift that we have is from God. How many good things are in our lives? How many good things are around us that we don't even consider or take into to account that those are good things and that God has put those there? 
because they're good things, they have to come from God because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And again, showing the goodness of God that we see. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 11. Matthew seven eleven, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay. So again, showing the goodness of God. So is God good? Yeah, God is good. Is he all good? Yes. Yes. 100% of the time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about Isaiah 45, 7? Isaiah 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Does God create calamity? Yes. Is that good or bad? So you know what the translation of calamity is in King James, right? No. What is it? Evil. Oh. So I make well-being, I create evil. Obviously not a great translation, calamity being much better. Is calamity good? Calamity is not good. Okay, but does God create it? He does. Is God good? Yes. God is good. Yes. Is everything God does good? Everything he does is good. Yes. Okay. But, I mean, he made humans, and we don't always do good things. Okay. Hold that. Lamentation 3 and verse 38. Uh, 38, 39. Lamentations 3, 38 through 39. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? We got woe and well-being? Yeah. You've got good and bad, don't you? I didn't get to it yet. Okay. So, woe. Is woe good? No. But it comes from the Most High. Is God good? Yes. Yes. Okay. Jeremiah eighteen eight. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Who intended to do that disaster? God. Is disaster good? It's not. Is God good? Yes, he is. Is everything God does good? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's making less and less. You, you see the predicament we're getting in here, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we've got to get into this predicament to get back out of it. Amos 3, 6. It, it's just, to me, it's amazing how explicit the Bible is on the goodness of God and then how many times it talks about things that God does that 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 are seen as not good. Um, Amos 3.6 is another one. Amos 3.6 If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Is calamity good? Same thing, right? Okay. Um, Exodus 32 and verse 14. This this is one of my favorite verses in the book of Exodus and Tacitus. And again, we're, we're not going to go into the really cool part of this verse, but we're going to see the point that we need out of it. He tells Moses, it says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. If you get a chance, study the context of this, because this is a really, really interesting set of verses that introduces a concept that we don't see very many places in the Bible. Okay, so the Lord says he relented from the disaster that he spoke and bring on his people. God had told Moses he was going to destroy the children of Israel. Moses begged God not to. And God decides not to. 
Is disaster good? No. No. But God is good. Yes. Yes. God is all good. He is. Everything God does is good. Right? Well, what do you mean? That's where you're making me think now. Um, I'm excited to find out where this is going. Okay. Who created? We'll, we'll come back to this. Who created? God. God. Genesis 1-1, right? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, God created. Uh, we come down a few verses in verse 26, and notice what verse 26 says. 126. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Who made man? God. God. Who's us? The Godhead, like God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Our likeness, right? Mm -hmm. So, so oftentimes when we view creation, we view creation as being created by God the Father, right? Yet there's more to it than that because even back here, all the way back in Genesis, plural, if you go into the, the breakdown of the Hebrew word of God in Genesis 1-1, even that is plural. So John 1, I think, sheds a lot more light on this. Uh, John 1, verse 1 through 3. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus. Verse 14, the Word is Jesus, right? Word mm -hmm. was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we have the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word was God. Did Jesus exist when the world was created? Yes. 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 Uh, verse 2, it says, He was in the beginning. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who created? Jesus. Jesus was the one who did the creating. And, and so here it spells out for us, Jesus was did had a very strong role in creation, and, and it calls Jesus the creator here in John 1. So, Ephesians 3, verse 8 and 9, same question, who created? Ephesians 3, 8 and 9. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Okay, so you have God being the creator here, and obviously God is a is a word that in the New Testament sometimes it's used to refer to God the Father, sometimes it's used to refer to the Godhead. And so we don't just have God the Father at creation, but here he mentions God. We go a couple of books over Colossians 1 verse 12, and he says, giving thanks to the Father. So here he separates out the Father and Son aspects of the Godhead. He said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Who's he in verse 13? The father. He is the father. Who's the son? Jesus. Jesus. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In who? Who's whom? The son. The son. In the son we have forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Who's he? The Son. Jesus, the Son. Still the Son, right? Jesus. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, who's Him? Jesus. Jesus. Still the Son. By Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him 
and for him. Who created? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so during the six days of creation, the Genesis talks about what was created. Uh, the heavens and the earth and light, dark, day. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Day 1 was? The earth. The, the earth was created because of verse 1, but specifically light too, right? Mm -hmm. Day 2 was? You're pulling back my Sunday school days. Was that when he separated I, I, I the land I and the sky? I have a list here. That's... Was it the waters? Land and the sky. The firmament? Did you say firmament? Yeah, sky. Okay, so so let's look at that Genesis one verse six. We'll we'll, we'll look at these. That's not hard to do. So verse three is day one. And God said, "Let there be light." And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning was the first day. Second day begins in verse six. It says, "God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and separate the waters from the waters." And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Third day is 9 through 13. What happened? In, what did God create on the third day? Land. Land? Mm-hmm. And plants? Dry land and plants, yes. Fourth day, verse 14 through 19. He put fish in the water and birds in the sky? No. Sun, moon, and stars. Sun, moon, and stars. Fourth day is sun, moon, and stars. And yes. then, and then, twenty through twenty-three, the fifth day is yes, the that, fish and the, the, the fish, fish and the birds and stuff. Yep, fish and fowl. Okay, and the sixth day, verse twenty-four through twenty-eight. That's when he created land animals and man. So we go through this entire list of what it says God created. He created light. He created the sky. He created the sea, land, and vegetation. He created the sun, moon, and stars. He created the fish and the birds. He created the land, animals, and man. Are there things that exist that are not on this list? Well, yes. There are things that came from the things he created. If that if that's allowed as an answer. Exodus 20 and verse 11. 20, 11. Let's get 10 and 11. Verse 10. But the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord your God... In it you shall do no work, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Everything in the earth, the, and heavens, the heavens, the earth, the sea. the sea, and all that in them is, right? Mm -hmm. Ephesians 3 and verse 9. Ephesians 3, 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What did God create? Everything. All things. A couple more here. Colossians 1 and verse 16. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created, for by him were all things created in heaven and on earth. What is heaven? It depends. <laughs> well, the word firmament was used for the sky during creation, so heaven would be the spiritual realm. Genesis 1.14, what is heaven? And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So here, heavens is the sky. Okay, the Outer space, right? Where the sun, moon, and stars are. Mm -hmm. Genesis 120. What is heaven? 120. 
Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. What is heaven? Um, the sky. The sky. Okay, so, so twice here in creation we see heaven being created and all that it is it, that is in it being created. Isaiah 55 and verse 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth it shall not return to me empty. Where does snow come from? The sky. So obviously multiple heavens are being talked about. But there, there is also the eternal dwelling place of God. Second uh, Corinthians five, verse one and two is is, is an obvious one in, when in talking about the eternal dwelling place of God. I think there's a lot of times when heaven is mentioned that we automatically assume it's the eternal dwelling place of God, unless we have reason to think otherwise. When sometimes I think we should consider possibilities that just because it says heaven doesn't mean it's talking about the eternal pl dwelling place of God. It could be referring to the sky. It could be referring to outer space. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, he says, For we know that if the tent, uh, that is, our earthly home is destroyed. What's he talking about? Our body. Our body. If our body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Is there any way at all this could be talking about the sky or outer space? No, Neither not this one. No. Eternal, not, not unless we're, <laughs> we're getting some uh, bird wings. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, so so he does at times use heaven talking about the eternal dwelling place of God. Uh first Peter three, twenty one. Twenty one, twenty two. First Peter three, twenty one. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Okay. Where did Jesus go? To the right hand of God. Heaven. Which is heaven. heaven where God is, right? The yeah. eternal heaven. Okay. So you want to see, you want to see something that's, that's really cool? Look at Acts 1 verse 10. I, I agree with you 100% that that 1 Peter passage is talking about the heaven where God is. Acts what is 1 Peter, or what is Acts 1 and verse 10 talking about? It says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Well, when Jesus was ascending, he probably went through the sky and then <laughs> disappeared into heaven beside God, which is the spiritual version. Were these men able to see up into heaven? They could see the sky for sure. Probably, I, I doubt they were able to see into into the spiritual heaven so it makes a lot more sense as we read this because it's proper to translate it as such and while they were gazing up into the sky as he went behold two men came okay what about verse 11 when the two men the two men who came said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven this is jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven which heaven the sky I tend to lean toward that being the sky all the way through that. Now, the the mm -hmm. first one where they're standing and looking, it's obviously talking about they're looking up into the sky. Now, we know from other places, Jesus actually goes up into the heaven where God is. So, they're, but but with it being in the same context, I tend to lean towards that they're still talking about Jesus went up into the sky and he's going to come back. 
But now other places in the Bible teach that Jesus is in heaven. I'm not contradicting that. So one more, and this is one that, that until a few years ago, I held the obviously wrong view because it's what I'd always been taught and it's what I'd always heard. Genesis 11.4, which heaven? 11.4. Oh, yeah, I had the same thing. Maybe you, you probably told me this. Genesis 11.4. And I said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Which heaven? I definitely always thought when i thought about this story they were building the tower of babel to try and reach god they were trying to make it to where god is heaven but this definitely sounds like they were just trying to make a tall tower into the sky so they're trying to build this tower so verse 5 says lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built and the lord said behold they are one people they have all one language and this only is the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. If this is the heaven where God is, which is what I was always taught all the way through since I was a little kid, if this is the heaven where God is, God looks down and sees them building this physical tower. And he says, you know what? If I don't stop them, they're going to make it to where I'm at. They're going to make it up here. I mean, is, is, is that even reasonable? No, no. Is heaven physical? Not that heaven, no. Not the heaven where God is. No. And, and and so if, if this is the heaven where God is and he's looking down there and they're building a physical tower and they're physical people and, and God's like, i got to stop them. Well, okay. So, so look at it one more step less crazy. Is it possible that they're trying to build a tower to get up to where the sun, moon, and stars are, to get to outer space? It, they it could be possible that they had intended for that, but when God says that it's something that they can accomplish, then no. And then God says, we got to stop them. Or is it more likely that they're building a tower that is really tall that's up in the sky so that they don't have to scatter abroad and replenish the earth like God had commanded them to do? Yeah, because God, God isn't scared of people doing something magnificent like building a tower. But he, he is concerned if we do something that takes us away from what we're supposed to do. He is concerned with obedience which was the issue here. And so he gives them all different languages, and what do they do? Scatter. They scatter. Scatter, just like he told them to do to start with. And so the building of the tower here, what when you ask the question, what heaven, and until we start asking what heaven, we don't fully get the concept that heaven a lot of times is physical when it's talked about in the Bible. Heaven is talking about the sky. Heaven is talking about where the stars are. Heaven is not always talking about where God is. So one thing is you go through the Bible, and almost every time, and I haven't found a place that contradicts this, but you might, almost every time it talks about the heavens and the earth, it's talking about the physical. When it couples the heavens with the earth, it's talking about the sky and the physical dirt that is here. The, the, he the, the space, the sky, and the dirt. It's talking about the physical when it's coupled with earth. So when you have God creating, we'll go back to Colossians 1, verse 16, where this stemmed from. He says, for by him were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Is it possible these things are physical? Yes. Mm -hmm. Heaven and on earth, those could both be physical. The sky, because the heaven was created in the six days of creation, right? You have the sky, you have outer space being created in six days of creation. Earth, the land, physical, uh, visible or invisible. Are there things that we don't see on this earth that were created by God? 
Error. Okay. Thrones. Does God create authority? Power. Mm-hmm. Rulers. Mm-hmm. If you ever question that, go through the book of Daniel. The main point of the book of Daniel is God is in control in the kingdoms of men. Why was Nebuchadnezzar king? God wanted him to be king. Why did Cyrus become king later? And it's again because God wanted him to be king. So God sets up dominions and, and, and principalities. God puts people in control where he wants them. So we go back to John 1 that we looked at a little bit ago. John 1, verses 1 through 3, and we'll read it. Answer the question as we go through, what did God create? What did Jesus create? John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. What did God, what did Jesus create? What did God create? All things. What did Jesus create? Everything. <laughs> everything that was, that's ever been made. Every, there, there you go. Is that different than everything? Yes, oh, it is. Okay, yeah. That's what I was thinking earlier, because there are things that were created by the things that he created, that he did not create, if that makes sense. But this, this applies directly to that. So absolutely everything that is created was created by God. All things were made through him. Without him, not anything that was made was made. It qualifies it, doesn't it? I just feel like I, if, if I said yes, that there are things, ne- the next questions I wouldn't be able to answer because there are bad, terrible things that people have made. And I don't want to say that God made that. That that's a very valid question, and and we're 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 go- that's where we're going with this, obviously. Uh huh. Yeah. But before we get there, we need one more step. What is the nature of creation? Good. Good. Genesis one four. Evening and morning were the first day, and God saw that it was good. Good. Genesis one ten. Day two, God saw that it was good. 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 Verse twelve. It was good. Day three, God saw it was good. Verse eighteen, day four. And God saw good. that it was good. Verse 21, day 5, God saw that it was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 25, day 6. God saw it was good. Verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. Evening and morning were the sixth day. What is the nature of that which God has created? It's all good. He created it good. So, it's all good. He created everything and he, that, that was made. And he created it good. So we have God who created everything that was created and he created everything good. First Timothy 4 talks about the creation and everything God created being good. Does evil exist? Yes. Yes. Again, that's almost undisputed, right? As we look through the Bible, evil exists. When was evil first talked about? Genesis 3. What was that evil? Adam and Eve. Satan and sin. Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God. So disobedience. So for a long time, I looked at the first thing of evil being introduced being Adam and Eve's sin. It, it, it's in conjunction with that, but it, it's one step before that. Look at Genesis 2.9. Oh, the tree. Hmm? Oh, okay, yeah. Genesis 2.9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Did evil exist? Yes, it did. Did God create it? Yes, he he made that. Did God that. create? 
everything no. that was Oof. created. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let, let me process. This verse doesn't say that he created evil. It just says he created the knowledge of it. But now that I'm thinking more, he created everything. So, yeah, yes, he did. But he didn't. Did he create everything? He he created everything that was made. But, like, goodness, he didn't create goodness. It's just always been because he's always been. Okay. Same as the concept of authority, though. Even if it's not a physical thing, it was still created by him. And the whole topic of him creating the angels, Satan, was one of them. The capability of being evil was in the things that he created, even if he made them. Okay, we have free will, right? Yes. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Because they... They made the wrong choice. Chose to. They wanted something that wasn't what was good, and they chose to deny goodness. What led them to sin? Satan. Satan? Temptation? Questioning God. So, so, but all of that was brought about by the temptation that Satan placed before them. Did God tempt them to do evil? No. 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 And, and so you don't see them struggling with this. You don't see them, oh, I just really, I really want to eat of that tree. I would really wish I knew what it was. You don't see any of that until Satan introduces temptation into their lives. And, and, and so as we, we look at this, if God created the world and God is good and everything that God created is good, and yet we know evil exists, is it possible that evil was not created? It, it has to be possible because God made everything that was made and everything that he made was good. Okay. But are there but, things that we know of that exist that were not created? Jesus. Father, Son, Spirit specifically, right? We automatically understand and, and, and accept that the Father, Son, and Spirit, God was in existence at creation. Jesus was in existence. The Spirit was talked about in verse 2 of Genesis 1. The Spirit was there. So if the Father, Son, and the Spirit were already in existence, Is it possible that other things that were not made were already in existence? Couldn't be physical because God created everything physical. The heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Is it possible that outside of that physical realm, there was other that evil existed? Evil will always exist in the future, so it's eternal that direction. Or will it be destroyed by God? It, it won't be. It will be separated from him. Eternal destruction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which will go on forever. It will. But it will also be a destruction. Will there be evil in heaven? No. No. Why not? Because God will separate it. It will be separated from him. And God is good and his goodness will be all encompass heaven so understanding time outside of this world doesn't exist but what if we get to heaven and, and 10,000 years later we make a mistake and we sin how could we that's my question I know that that's not an option but I don't understand how it's not an option okay why is it not an option because th there won't be a way to be tempted 
if so we can't sin without temptation evil won't be present we won't be able to choose it i guess the this knowledge of the tree of good and evil the possibility of evil that was on earth we're imperfect so we chose it but that option won't be there it just makes me think about how when you're in the presence of god you even if you had free will you don't really have a choice because you're confronted with an absolute it's like when you're confronted by a brick wall you you know you can't go through it that's an obvious thing and so there's no point questioning it or going around it like whenever paul is confronted on the road and he's blinded like he changes his whole life because when you when you're confronted by actual jesus you can't choose anything else it would it would just be at that point a, a silly thought to do anything other than what is good because you have full knowledge so I think you hit on the, on the key of it a little earlier. There's no temptation. Who's the tempter? Satan. Who tempted Adam and Eve? Satan. Who, who tempted everyone all through history every time there's a temptation? The devil. He's, he's always involved. And we say, well, I struggle with those thoughts in my mind. Why? It's because he puts things in front of us to cause us to be tempted. If there are no temptation, is there sin? No. Mm -mm. And, and we see that in the garden too, because the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there. If the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there had to be the existence of evil, there had to be a knowledge of it that was possible, or the tree couldn't have existed, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil is there. But again, you don't see any idea of them struggling with a temptation to eat it until Satan gives them that temptation. And it's it's very clearly laid out there and in ways that we don't always see it in today's world because Satan doesn't always get blamed for the temptations that we're faced with. A lot of times it's other people getting blamed with it or situations that we're put in or struggles that we deal with or it, it, we blame it on all sorts of things. But the source of every temptation, I believe, comes back to Satan because he is the tempter. Does God tempt man? No. No. Can God be tempted with evil? Well, Jesus was tempted, but he but Jesus he was tempted mm -hmm. because he was man. But in, in that way, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt man with evil. He's not the tempter. He doesn't place temptations before us. And, and, and so... If a temptation is there, it can't come from God, and it doesn't come from God. Temptations are not good, but God is good. Where do temptations come from? The devil. The devil. So, was evil in existence before Adam and Eve sinned? Yes, it was. Did God create evil? No. No. But yet evil existed, right? So, God created everything that was created, and everything that God created was good, God is good. Everything good is from God. Temptations are not from God. Temptations are not good and temptations are not from God. Let's go James 1 verse 12. James 1 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, 
and he himself tempts no one. Temptations don't come from God. Where do they come from? They, they come from evil, but... Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay. Does desire have anything to do with sin and evil and temptation? Yes, it's related. It says right it's there. It's a bad one, yeah. Okay, First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire, but whosoever does the will of God abides forever. But he created the world. He created the world. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But he tells us not to love the world. Why do we not love the world? It's the broken, infiltrated by sin version of the world. Not the original version of the world. So 16, you have all that is in the world. You have the desires of the flesh. You have the desires of the eyes. You have the pride of life. Are any of those from God? No. 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 Did God create those? No. No. Did he introduce no. those? No, Satan did. Did he put those in us when he created us? No, because it's not of the Father. Not we have the, the ability to choose it. He gave us free will, yes. Yeah, but he didn't put it in us. So, who introduced those things into the world? Satan. God created... I, I keep thinking, uh, there's also a couple more loose ends in my head, which we may tie up, we may not, but there's a lot floating around in there. Part of it is John 1. He created, he, all that he, everything that was made was made through him, and without him, nothing that was made was made. Right. And does it, does the past tense of that have anything to do with anything? Because I don't know what the original text of that says. I feel like studying the Greek and Hebrew could come in handy during some of this conversation, but we don't have time to do that at the moment. But does that mean the things that were made at creation, like at that time? Or is that talking about all things ever, ever, either way? So how long did creation last for? Six days. Six days. Seven Six days. days. Yes. Was Everything created that was created in those six days. That's what it said in that, what was it in Deuteronomy? Genesis, or Exodus 20. Or, yeah. Exodus. Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. So they were to keep the Sabbath day holy because in six days, God created the heaven, the sea, and the earth, and all that in them is. So, everything so was good. everything that was created, created in six days? Yeah. Y yes. It does say that. Yes. It makes sense for it to be past tense in John. Uh-huh. So everything Jesus made, everything that was made, past tense, because the creation was completed in six days. Okay. That makes sense. So if temptations don't from, come from God, but we have where it talks about the lust of flesh, lust of eyes, the pride of life, these things are in the world, but yet they're not from God. First John ex explicitly states that they're not from God. First Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. First Thessalonians 3, 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Where do temptations come from? 
the tempter. Matthew 4, verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Where did Jesus' temptations come from? The tempter. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Who's the tempter? The devil. Verse 8. Who's the tempter? The devil. Verse 11. The devil. Second Corinthians 12, 7. Who tempted Paul? 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Who tempted Paul? A messenger from Satan. So Satan. I'll give you two guesses what the word for messenger is. Angel. Yep. Did we get a second guess? <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> the word for messenger there is angel, but the source of the temptation is what? Satan. Are all angels heavenly? Well, angel is a generic word meaning messenger, isn't it? Mm hmm So this being a messenger of Satan, what was the messenger of Satan? A thorn in the flesh. So not a spiritual heavenly being such as angel, but a the thorn in the flesh is called the messenger of Satan. Right? Mm -hmm. But the source, again, the source of all of the struggles that, that Paul faced there were, were coming from temptation. So if temptations come from Satan, they did for Eve and they did for Christ, they did for Job and they, they do for us. If temptations come from Satan, what methods does Satan use to tempt us? Probably whatever's in his power. Back in First John, our, our desires, the, the world... All of, all of the those flesh, things. Lust the eyes, yeah. pride of life, right? Yeah, yeah. So our, our desires, Matthew 4, when Satan was tempting Jesus, what methods did he use? He used scripture. Okay. He used, he used his Bible. hunger. His hunger. Okay, hunger. Physical desire? Yes. Yeah. Lust yeah. of the flesh? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is hunger bad? No, no. Why was Satan able to use something good to tempt Jesus to do something evil? Because it's it's not necessarily about hunger, the physical thing, but it's about the heart's intent behind using the physical thing. Isn't that what he always does? Doesn't he always take something good and use it to tempt us to do something evil? I mean, everything that God made was good in the beginning, and he still found a way to tempt. Did Satan make anything? It was there. It was already Did Satan there. make anything? No. No. No, because everything that was made, John 1, was made by, he can't create. Mm -mm. But he can take what is good, he can take God's creation, and he can twist it, and he can turn it, and he can use it for evil. So we go down a few more verses there in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. What did Satan tempt Christ with? It, well, it was a temptation of all of the power of the earth, the, all that he could see. Okay. Pride? Mm-hmm. Lust of the eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, isn't, isn't it interesting how a lot of times when you look at a temptation, you can't break it down into just one of the, the three things, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Usually it entails some aspect of all three of them. Mm -hmm. One of them 
usually comes out a little bit stronger but it's almost always all three of them and, and, and here you see the tempting him with pride and and then you get down to verse eight and nine and he's tempting him with with wealth that 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 it would all be his john 13 and verse 2 during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him what did satan use to tempt jesus jesus or judas jesus he used everything at his disposal the the good things that were in front of him hunger the bible wealth verse 2 13 2 during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What did Satan use to tempt Jesus? He didn't use his heart. He, didn't, he, he used Judas. Used Judas. Uh -huh. Why was he able to use Judas? Because Judas had already given in to Satan. Judas gave in to that. Judas, Judas allowed it, right? Betrayal? Has betrayal ever been a temptation for you to do something you should not have done? Yes. Like, be angry at someone for a reason that I shouldn't. Vengeance, right? When we're betrayed, vengeance is one of the strongest temptations that we have, and, and it's brought about. Could Jesus have gotten back at Judas for doing this? Could yes, Jesus absolutely. He absolutely could have. He had the power. Yes. He had the power, didn't he? But he didn't. To me, I see the betrayal here. For me, in that situation, the betrayal would have been more temptation than the bread. But we don't usually talk about that as much. We talk about Jesus being tempted. We, we feel like it's Matthew 4, it's three times and it was done. It's his whole life. Betrayal is huge. And you look at betrayal and how Satan can use betrayal and, and he can tempt people to treat us wrong. He can tempt people to do us wrong and to betray us. And that betrayal, he then takes and he uses it, that betrayal that people have done unto us, and he uses that betrayal to get us to do other things that we shouldn't do. And we justify it because we say, but look at what they did. And so we, we look at this betrayal here, and that's a major aspect of temptation that he used. Look at Revelation 12, verse 4 and 5. What was Satan's goal when Christ was on earth? Revelation 12, 4 and 5. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where... Wait, verse 5. Oh, you're good. You're good. What was, what was Satan's goal with Jesus? To devour. To devour. Mm -hmm. That was Satan's goal from the time Jesus was born until he went to the cross. Who put Jesus on the cross? Hmm. Men did it, but Satan put... Satan put that into his heart. We just read Genesis three fifteen. Who put Jesus on the cross? But it was it goes God's all the way plan. Back here, doesn't it? Hmm? it was God's plan. It's God's plan. Who put Jesus on the cross? Did Genesis God put Jesus on the cross? God sent His Son. Genesis three fifteen. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's talking to the devil. Talking to the devil. Who is the offspring of woman? Jesus. Okay. He shall bruise your head. Who bruised the head of Satan? Jesus. Jesus. Who bruised the heel of Jesus? Satan. By? Oh, well, yeah, if Satan bruised his heel, that would be referring to the cross. It's referring to the cross, isn't it? 
But who put him on the cross? Satan. Would it be just for Jesus to, was it just for Jesus to go to the cross? No. 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 Is God just? Yes. So God can allow Jesus to go to the cross. God can't put him there because it wouldn't be just. Who put him there? Satan did. Satan did, right? And then God used it for good. And God used it for good. So every time God allows something evil to happen, God always uses it for good. But but yet you here you see Satan is the one that's put Jesus on the cross. Satan is the one who sent him there. And Satan is the one who was continually involved in the temptation of Jesus all through his life and in influencing people around him. Who do you think it was that introduced the temptation to Peter before he denied Christ? Who do you think it was that, that tempted the others to not even be around? That was all the pride of life, which is not from God. Which is not from God. None of that is from God. So what about falling asleep in the garden? Yeah, you can use sleep if you can use hunger. Lust sure. of the flesh. Does Satan ever use sleep to tempt us? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been tired and said something that you shouldn't have because you were tired? For sure. I, I struggle with that. Hunger and tired. Those are the two things that I, I really have to watch. Because when I'm hungry and when I'm tired, I'm the most tempted. Is it possible that even though hunger and being tired are not evil things, that Satan can use those things to tempt us? Yeah. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering of Jesus. And, and it, it's a beautiful passage. It's several, 700 years or so before Jesus. But yet it, it talks all about the suffering of Jesus. It talks about his suffering. It talks about his shame. It talks about the struggles that he would go through. It talks about how through his suffering, it brings us cleansing and us healing. Who caused all that? All the suffering and pain was because Satan. All of it was because of Satan. Do you think the pain of the cross was a temptation for Jesus? Yes, I'm thinking yeah. about the song, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. thought of that a couple times. He could have. I would have. He wanted, like he prayed, if there's any other way, let, let, let this pass. pass. He, he could have. And, and he's struggling in the garden, and you, you see him in the garden praying, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to have to go through that. It was a, he was human, it was a temptation caused by? Satan. Satan. All of it? All of what? All of the struggles and all of the pain that he went through, was it all caused by Satan? Satan was the source. He was, wasn't it? Now, did God allow it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that different, though? Yes, it's different. Okay, Genesis 3 and verse 5. What means did Satan use to tempt Eve? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What method did Satan use? Pride. Pride, right? Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. What did he use to tempt her? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. Keep going. That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit. Lust of the eyes. You got lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life all here in these two verses talking about this one temptation. Satan used everything he had to tempt her. Now, you, you have good for food, you have pleasant eyes, you have desire to make one wise. You have all three of these things that Satan is using to tempt Eve. Second Corinthians 12 and verse 7, what did he use to tempt Paul? 7 through 10. Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10? Yes. Yep. 
so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly in of my weakness so that the power of christ may rest upon me what did satan use to tempt paul definitely pride of life but it's a, a thorn in the flesh like a physical thing and so i'm sure that in the flesh likely physical isn't it he didn't want to be weak he, he didn't want to be weak no where, where did his strength have to come from though christ it came from him being weak and Christ giving him the strength that he needed. And so there, there is a lot of pride in that. But you see him submitting here. You see him not giving in to the temptation. It would have been easy for him to give in to this. It would have been easy for him to rebel and to say, well, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with this anymore. Would that have ended the struggle? We don't know if Satan would have taken it away. Isn't, isn't that the sad thing? That even when we give in to the temptations, it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't necessarily take away the difficult things. It usually makes it life harder. It makes it worse, yeah. And, and, and almost always makes it harder, yeah. Acts 17, we're going to start in verse 1. We're looking at Thessalonica here, and consider the ways in which Satan tempts Paul here. So when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few excuse me, of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus, and the people of the city and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason, and the, when they had taken uh, money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. What ways does Satan tempt Paul here? By being physically attacked. Okay, who attacked him? The Jews. Why? Because. They didn't like the message. Were the Jews wrong? Yes. I mean, see how many layers there are to this temptation, though? It isn't just Satan directly attacking Paul. Mm-hmm. It's Satan attacking someone who attacks someone who attacks someone who attacks Paul. And there, there's there's layers in temptations a lot of times. And, and Satan is able to weave these wicked webs and, and because he manipulates and uses people that are willing to give in to him and willing to do what they want, Satan was using the people around Paul to tempt him, but yet Paul still had a choice, didn't he? Did the people that Satan was using have a choice? Yes, they do and we do. Acts fourteen nineteen. What ways did Satan tempt Paul? But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Big one, isn't it? 
yeah, mm -hmm. physical violence to the max. And all of this being thrown at Paul, and what's the source of it? Satan. Satan. Satan's trying to stop him from teaching, trying to stop him from doing what he's doing, and, and trying to get him to turn away from what is right. What about Job? Let's look at Job 1. You can't talk about temptation without looking at Job. We'll start in verse 8. Job 1 and verse 8. It says, The Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Why did God bring up Job? He was blameless and upright and feared God and turned away from evil. So is it the case that we have God here talking to Satan and saying, Hey, what, what about Job? Have you tried to tempt him yet? Is God presenting Satan with a challenge here? So God asks the question. What question did he ask? Have you considered my servant Job? Had Satan considered Job? Verse 9, it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Yeah, he had considered him. He'd watched him very carefully. He had considered every aspect of Job. Do you think Satan had already tried to tempt Job? Yeah. I have no doubts. And then Satan had to hit that wall over and over again of God not allowing that to happen and God stopping him from being tempted. And then Satan brings this challenge to God and says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. What challenge did Satan put before God? He said, if you stop, you know, giving him all of these great things, then he won't choose to follow you. Well, if you are listening to this, then I'm very thankful you stayed around for the whole conversation. And I am going to leave a copy of notes below in the description for those of you who like to follow along. If you want to discuss this further, if you have more questions, then email or reach out to me on social media and me or Mr. Daniel or Kaylee or someone else who might be able to answer your questions will answer you because it's important that when we have questions that we seek the answer for them. If there's no answer, then at least we can know that that's not something that God has shared with us, but it is always good to ask questions. As we wrap up this episode of the Lydia Todd Pod, I want to express my heartfelt gratitude for you spending time with me. This really challenges my belief that I only have five consistent listeners. If you have any thoughts, topics, or questions you'd like me to explore further on future episodes, please reach out on one of my socials. I hope that our conversations have brought you inspiration and joy. If you have friends or family who might be interested in our conversations, don't hesitate to share the podcast with them.